It's Lily. And it's October, that very special time of year for those of us that love putting on costumes or digging into the shadowy stuff. So in honor of that, and because the show has so many new listeners, I decided to re-air Ghosts. If you missed it the first time, here you go. If you loved it the first time, well, here you go again. If you were like, "Mm, I'm not so sure about this the first time, here you go again. But before we go there, I want to say how excited I am about the show's upcoming third season. I spent the past week at a women's podcast conference in LA, and I had the opportunity to learn from some brilliant women podcasters. Naturally, I'm just like chomping at the bit to put these new ideas into practice. You might not know this, but creating a therapist walks into a bar has totally impacted my life, like profoundly and delightfully. But I do need to pay my bills, and it's not a hobby, it's not a side project, it's 50% of what I do. Each episode takes like 40 to 60, sometimes more, hours to produce. Moving forward, I want to continue to find other producers to collaborate with, editors to help me hone my ideas, and at some point, I want this show to do a live taping in a bar. So how fun would that be, right? Basically, I'm, I'm deep in this. So as I seek out sustainable funding for the show, because I do really want to continue to make it free and accessible for as many people as possible, I'm asking that, you know, if you have any amount of cash to spare, visit a therapistwalksintoabar.com slash donate to help me out. So I'm so grateful to those that have contributed so far. I've been able to buy a better microphone for bar interviews, which is so exciting. It's so professional. It just, it looks really fancy. I love it. And attending these podcast conferences is also a really important way for me to not only learn the craft, but to spread the word about the show so more people can find it. And your donations will help cover that expense. Any amount that you can contribute is meaningful to me. For the last round of donors, I had them give me a word each, and I wrote and recorded a song for them that incorporated every single one of those words. And I'm going to do that again for the next round because it was so fun. So donations over $10 get you one word. Donations over $20 will get you two. Imagine that. You helping me write a song? You're basically Bob Dylan. So you can also help by continuing to spread the word about the show and by leaving a review in iTunes. I just noticed a few new ones and I'm really grateful. Thank you. And that's it. It's time to get spooky. Excuse me. Hi. I'm interviewing people for my podcast. Okay. And I'm just curious if you would if if you would want to talk to me as we walk. Sure, about what? About ghosts. Oh, what kind of ghosts? (laughs) Any kind. We, me and my girlfriend, we were about in fourth grade or something like that. I don't know how old I was at the time, maybe 10. And her grandpa had passed away in the house that we were staying in. She always had experiences and would like tell me about them. But then one night we were trying to get out of her room at like, I don't know, we were gonna sneak out or something like that. It was like 10 o'clock at night, 11, her parents were just gone to bed. And we had tried to open the door and the door kept on getting pulled shut. And we're looking out the door as we're pulling it and there's no one there. And it was like a cold rush of air through 
the door. Every single time that we tried to open it, it would just, just slam. Like he was saying, stay in your room. I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. There's an old school downtown, which was converted into a county building. A security guard one night saw what he said was an apparition of a little girl, only from the waist up. He emptied his gun into the wall, trying to shoot her. I was working with a friend at the Las Vegas Psychic Society, and they called us and asked us to come in and check it out. We went in there and felt what we believed to be a young presence. I never saw her, but I felt her. But for my part on that particular evening, we just heard the, little, the giggling. We were aware of her being in the building, but we never saw her. I went uh, downstairs into my room and my room light was actually uh, not working and the input screen um, on my TV was on and it was shining this bright red light but it wasn't bright in the room like it was completely dark but it was just really red and so that kind of like I don't know like set me back a little bit to walk through the room to go to the other light in the closet so I was like okay I'll, I'll walk through it with caution walk to like walk to the closet light turn the light on and I heard just like a like the power of the light going on and then it just popped and so I was just immersed with like darkness and then all the hairs in my arm just rose way up and uh, <laughs> so I ran as fast as I could because it felt like something like walked right through me ghosts you've seen the movies You've nervously giggled and gasped over the stories at slumber parties. Or like me, you've cowered in the other room in your sleeping bag just to avoid hearing about it. Maybe you've even had an encounter with something you would call a ghost. According to a 2009 Pew Research study, 18% of Americans say they've seen a ghost, and 29% believe they've been in touch with the dead. That's pretty significant, so let's dig in. I'm Lily Sloan, and this is A Therapist Walks Into a Bar, a podcast that brings therapy to you. For this episode, I went outdoors and spoke with strangers at San Francisco's Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival. And I was not disappointed. Not one bit. What do you think about ghosts? <laughs> you know, I honestly don't, I don't give a fuck. But in the spirit of Halloween, they exist, especially the ghost of Halle Berry. <laughs> Wait. She's alive, but she, still, she's everywhere. She's everywhere. She she can be, in a cat in a catwoman suit. In a catwoman suit. Only in a catwoman suit. <laughs> okay. Because it's Halloween, you know. Yeah, it's Halle Berry Ween. Why not? Bad Halle Berry jokes aside, some of the people I interviewed grappled with whether or not they believe in ghosts or do you think you've ever seen a ghost to be honest no i've never seen a ghost but i do hear stories and i do see movies and i kind of do believe in some ways and i have friends that have seen ghosts themselves so i'm like "Eh." i'm in the middle 50 50 like yes and then maybe no you're asking a very uh Philosophical for me, you know, I, for me, answers could be not just fun. Sometimes they are. But um, do you believe in God? Do I? Yeah. This isn't about me. Oh, that's a, it's a oh, conversation. It's I 
You could be any XYZ person, doesn't matter. Do you believe in God? I don't know. Do you believe in God? I don't know either. I, be I believe in God as like a concept trying to name something that's unnameable. What is the difference between a ghost and a spirit? Um, I guess when I think ghost, I think more of the like old-time theatrical definition of like a ooh, haunting you type ghost. Spirit, I guess, resembles more of like a soul captured between realms. But then at the same time, I don't know. I've never. I feel like I've never personally encountered some type of interaction with an afterlife entity uh -huh. if we would so I guess I can't totally speak as to whether I believe in certain areas being haunted or a spirit still lingering and on the other hand others seemed more certain but again I don't believe in ghosts I made it all no, up no, no. no you made it all up you don't believe in ghosts do you believe you've seen a ghost ever? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah? Yeah, 100%. I've always had an, an understanding of this. I'm a Native American. I view things just a little bit differently than the average bear. And one of the things that I understand is in the life hereafter is that uh, for us, it's just crossing a threshold into a new dimension. There is a lot going outside on in front of us, even as we speak, outside of our own light perception. We can't see it. But they're there. They're with us. Sharer. I'm a psychotherapist and an artist and, um, oh, I don't know, what would I say, a spiritual seeker. When I was an intern, Elaine was my supervisor, and she taught me a lot, like how to put an imaginary protective bubble around myself during a difficult session, and all these little ways to shift my perspective when I was feeling stuck. I wanted to talk to Elaine about ghosts because honestly, I don't think I've heard her shoot down an idea ever. What is it that like m millions, I presume, people say they believe in ghosts or have even had experiences? And yeah, I just wonder what... I wonder what they're talking about. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, there's some common language people sometimes use. I felt the room get really cold. The hair stood up on my arms. It felt like someone was watching me. But it's hard to be sure if what people are describing as ghosts are really the same thing. Elaine wonders if these could also be described as spiritual experiences. This guy I talked to about living in his dead grandfather's room interprets his experience as a construct of both his own mind and outside influences. Like if I was never introduced to the idea of a ghost, I don't think I would have created this entity that I'm thinking of as my grandfather in his room. And I don't think I'd be bringing it up in a ghost conversation. I think that's just the word that I've been taught. 
to describe the phenomenon that I'm trying to describe to you. Yeah, like what is a ghost? A concept, memory, literal matter, an energy field existing in another dimension, a name we use to approximate something we can't explain. Are there different kinds of ghosts? Kay Fulstrom, a psychic medium I spoke with, has no question in her mind about what a ghost actually is. So hearing from someone who's fully crossed over, that's mediumship, and that is um, feels just normal and nice. Now, feeling a ghost is much different sensation. Sometimes, uh, as I write the chapter in my book, I had an unexpected guest at dinner. I felt like someone was like beating down and looking at me, but it didn't feel good. It felt kind of creepy, like someone boring down on me, like they wanted me to do something. Now, my dinner guest couldn't feel that, but I became aware of it at the dinner tables. It can also feel like uh, you can feel that cold, just icy cold when they brush past you or walk past you. So, you know, there's something where, like the way you talk about it, and it sounds like the way you experience it, it's quite literal, that it's not symbol or projection of our mind that this is like literally happening yeah and then i do see some examples where people call and it is a projection Mm. or a symbol or something so you have to kind of get good at you know what we call differential diagnosis Mm -hmm. are they really but for Kay, she feels like oftentimes the ghosts are real and in case i wasn't clear I'm not trying to make a case one way or another, but being that I can't really say what's real and what's not, all I can do is explore what all this might mean to people. So that brings me to the why. What role in our lore and mythology have ghosts played? Whether in fantasy or reality, what does a ghost represent? There's a huge, rich, um, I think, symbology to ghosts and our fascination with them some from the time we're little kids at the sleepover and we're telling ghost stories just as young as we possibly can like there's you know you're young enough to be terrified but then when you get just old enough to not be fully terrified then you start telling ghost stories at the sleepover like everyone is fascinated with this right yeah what's up with that I think it's several things. I think there's there's more to this life. There's a part of it that's fascinating and exciting. And is it really happening or not? It's just fun to debate and talk about. Have you had an experience? Oh, what was your experience like? It's fun to talk about it and hear about it. And um, it's just, it's fascinating, but it's also scary. It's like two sides of the same coin. Um, but we talk about it from such young ages all the way on up and people really get into sharing their ghost stories or debating whether it's real or not so it's really a rich topic i think it's you know is there more to this life or not is there anything after we our physical body passes away it's not only that but it also gives me a sense of purpose i feel okay about what's happening around us regardless of how i feel about it it can be good it can be bad but i know that beyond that there's a purpose to all of it It's not chaotic. It's not chaos in the sense that we see chaos. So for one, there's this existential view that we're drawn to ghosts in fiction and perhaps reality because the whole concept speaks to these big questions of what is life and what happens when we die. For many of us, it's a pretty uncomfortable, even intolerable thought that 
maybe nothing happens, nothing at all. And if there's nothing left of us, did our lives even mean anything? What do people feel like after somebody dies? They feel like there's separation and there's no more connection with that person and they miss them and that, you know, that um, expression of love is gone or they regret things that weren't said or done or they're angry or whatever that, you know, depending on how resolved the relationship was. So here Elaine ponders a second aspect to our relationship with ghosts, human attachments and how we process loss. What if after death, after the person drops their body and there's still some kind of connection, what if they could really um, give you messages? Or what if they could really, um, what if they are still loving you, actively loving you? So like with the guy who was living in his dead grandpa's room, what if the purpose of his grandpa's ghost was to help him connect with his sister? You know, the ghost thing could be like real quick, but I like, uh, I was like catching uh, real feelings from it and stuff to the point where like I reached out and I called my sister. I hadn't talked to her in a while and stuff and like gotten a real deep conversation with her at a point where I think even like I thought I needed the conversation. That's why I called her. But after the conversation, I think she needed it more. And then that really made me think like, shit, maybe that that kind of was ghostly almost that almost like was something like my grandfather's presence uh, looking out for my sister, using me as a conduit for that. So much of Kay's work as a medium is about helping people heal through these communications with the dead. That's what I love about mediumship readings is they're healing, there's closure, there's laughter, there's joy sometimes. People feel better no matter what. And there's evidence and hardcore proof from a good medium that it's actually the person Uh, because sometimes they're naming names, they're naming others in the family. You get proof that it's really the person in spirit that can see what's going on in your life, but it's very healing. So I even had one person that I brought a message through for, this person's adopted and her biological, her birth mother was actually coming through to give her a message because it could never interact with her otherwise. And it was fascinating to me because she loved the message, was crying, was really into it. It was very healing. And at the end she said, you know what? I don't really believe there's little people out there. (laughs) And I thought, wait a minute. That was a healing experience for her, but I didn't say anything to her. I was like, okay, I just accept whatever is for people and what they believe because I'm fine with it. Another aspect to this whole ghost thing is symbolic, like trying to understand a dream. Do ghosts sometimes represent cut off parts of ourselves, parts buried deep in our unconscious? To look closer at this, I want to tell you my ghost story. But I'm going to need some help since someone else was there, too. Can you introduce yourself? <laughs> yes. Hi. I, yeah, my name is Melanie K. Mitchell, and I have a private practice in San Francisco, um, and I work with people in a range of different ways. That's no exaggeration. Melanie has quite the range, from sand tray and play therapy with children to movement and body-based therapies to what she calls intuitive body work and traditional talk therapy. 
About two years ago, Melanie and I had a trade going. I helped her with some web design, and she gave me some of those intuitive bodywork sessions. It's a kind of energy healing thing. I can't tell you what energy healing is or how it works or why it works or if it works or even how to define works, but I was curious and open. Honestly, I'll never turn down an opportunity to lie down on a massage table in a dark room, wrapped in blankets, totally attended to. So we'd had a couple of these sessions, and I have to say I felt like I was getting something out of it. It was really meditative. Different emotions were coming up that I got to look at more closely, which us therapy junkies kind of love to do. But then... I think it was the third or fourth session, and something weird happened. So, um, I definitely remember that there was a, a presence that felt very different than any way that I had experienced you in life I can't remember exactly like who said what first you know but I know that I said something because I was feeling something Uh what I think I may have said was something like wow I suddenly feel like really scared and then you confirmed with your experience and told me what you were sensing and it was like it was really intense. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, I was feeling something at the same time that you were. Mm-hmm. And, and I know I said something about it out loud because it was really overwhelming me. Mm-hmm. Lying on that table, Melanie and I talked through what this presence was. An image of this man became more clear to me in the room, though my eyes were closed. I can't remember now how he looked, but at the time it was so vivid. I think he was wearing all black. And he was sitting on the couch right next to us. It felt so real, but there was this voice somewhere in my head that whispered, we're doing some deep work here with your mind. This is not literal. There is not a ghost actually in the room. But it felt so real, I wasn't entirely sure. The way that you were framing things and kind of holding things, I felt like it was like a, I'm super scared, but I can do this. Mm-hmm. And that felt like the right level of scared. Yeah. Like I never felt like I couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, fear is a reality. Like fear is a real emotion that we have to acknowledge and we have to be supported in. And um, oftentimes it's kind of... Uh, undercut you know like oh you don't need to be afraid of that or it's kind of suppressed in some way it's kind of swallowed or pushed down or Mm -hmm. or it takes over and then we resist doing the things that we want to do uh so to have a space where you can actually be really present with your fear feel it 100 percent completely know in in the back of your mind and know that somebody's supporting you and it's not going to take over your you know being and you are safe it's a really powerful thing to experience, similar to any of the emotions that we we um, have a difficult time in our culture expressing because of our conditioning, which is grief. I mean, we don't really have a lot of places to express grief in a healthy way that's, that's useful. Anger, fear, 
you know, um, self doubt. Mm-hmm. And these are the things. This is a reason I think we have spaces like these private, confidential spaces where we can explore the, this material. But the question remains: Was this presence Melanie and I were working with? All this fear and intense imagery? Was it just a buried part of myself? That's an, um, that's an interesting, what that brings up for me is what part of your ghost experience, what part of that ghost was something that you weren't able to tolerate, that you, that you needed to see so distance like that? Mm, yeah. Do you remember? I mean, I one word that comes to mind is like menacing, but something just like being like on my back and and instilling me with kind of doubt and fear around just being myself in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something where like when we kind of fleshed him out a bit, it was like like a like walking down the street at night and seeing somebody kind of lurking like is this person going to jump out and attack me or rape me or something mm-hmm. um, and it felt like it was sucking away at my life force mm-hmm. my own like vitality that feels way how you're describing that feels way more like that is something that is not part of yourself really that feels more like an outside entity parasite yeah. I mean, the more I think about it, I actually think I even remember thinking this at the time, but um, I feel like if that that dude represents anything for me, it's like patriarchy and my relationship to men. And then I, I was just thinking of like the imagery and all of it, like rape culture and just feeling, feeling like there's this this there's so much vibrancy and and possibility in me but there's this part where i feel so limited and weighed down by these patriarchal influences that will creep in and instill doubt in certain ways and um make me question my value make me question the value of my feelings and my ideas and all of that. Yeah, so if you become too vibrant, too big, too yourself, then you're at risk of being attacked. Yeah. By the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of women feel that way, and I think that, you know, I, I would say that, that that is a big thing that we're facing in our culture today, and in that way... That's why it becomes a ghost because it's there. Yeah, we can put it on Brock Turner. We can put it on Donald Trump. We can put it on these people that they're holding the embodiment of it, and they are. Mm -hmm. But so much of it lives in the ethers. Yeah. This is nothing new, right? That the mythical monsters we describe from culture to culture are often reflections of the shadow side of each society. Donald Trump himself is practically a fictional monster, reflecting back to us a deeply disturbing aspect of America's past and present, along with fears of what's to come. 
equated to like how people um, kind of use their religion to navigate their daily lives um, where they could pull in things that kind of sound very supernatural and chances are that supernatural aspect that they're kind of talking about through religion might not necessarily be real and tangible but they could still have some sort of positive outcome from an intangible uh, narrative or uh, uh, equipment for living or something like that this narrative that he talks about it's like is this one way we can deal with the frustration of knowing so little and having so little control how do we make enough sense of our tiny occupation of time and space children play they just do it naturally and if things are going well developmentally they do it with very little abandon one of my favorite old British psychoanalysts, Donald Woods Winnicott, was all about play. In fact, I've heard stories of how he would just spontaneously start doing cartwheels. And as a spontaneous cartwheeling adult myself, I was sold. This guy knew how to roll up his sleeves, sit on the floor, and get to the playing. As early as the 1940s, Winnicott was talking about what he called transitional objects, which just refers to a child's blinky, teddy, binky, whatever that special thing is that parents know you don't leave behind. You don't lose it. You don't wash it. And you just don't mess with it in any way. This is a way for a child to have a stand-in for mom as the separation begins. And for the child, it's as if it is mom, yet paradoxically, it isn't mom. So Winnicott also talked about transitional space. When you're a kid and you're playing pirates, likely you're fully invested in the experience. You can dive into your imagination and let it be real. Yet, paradoxically, you also know you're playing a game. In the land of play, we can imagine all kinds of things and work through dilemmas that our concrete, literal, evidence-based realities might not allow for. By playing in the transitional space, we open up other dimensions, so to speak. Melanie mentioned she does play therapy with kids. For her, play is everything. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm just wondering kind of what, what value you find in it. In play? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, like, <laughs> I know. Uh, what value do I not find in it? Um, it really is such a deep part of every thread of my being and my life I mean I um, I continue to play and do character work performance art in my personal life because it's a way for me to break through the cultural conditioning and explore these emotions that are more challenging to 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 express adults gotta play too Luckily, our modern society allows all kinds of iterations of this. But even throughout history, we've always had art and religion to occupy that transitional space. 
you know, the space between complete connection with mom or maybe something bigger like nature or the universe and this demarcated concrete world. So play, art, religion, storytelling, Dungeons and Dragons helps us work stuff out, cope with loss, trauma, day-to-day stress, and our deep existential concerns like What's up with this vast unknown? We may consciously choose to enter into these spaces, and we may not, like when we're dreaming. Now, I could start asking questions about the nature of reality, like what is the definition of real? Perhaps real can include things like ghost experiences, even if your ghost is a creation of the mind, because As Elaine puts it, imagination is just another realm. There's something too, people who are more, um, uh, the evangelicals who are more connected to that thing, that in in terms of not of dualistic thinking, Mm -hmm. that if we just throw out all of, of what they're experiencing, then you're missing out on some of the richness of that people who are more orthodox or who are more evangelical, that they're having mystical experiences, mm. that the more progressives who are not who are more intellectualized might not be experiencing, and that there's some power there that you don't want to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. What do you think is lost in in like not being able to be in the realm of the imaginal in such a immersed way? That we kind of worship science now that science is our God. And it's wonderful, you know, that the advances that are made in technology and medicine and all of that, who doesn't want that? The problem is that we have to find a way to connect the mind and the heart. Mm. Because if you just go, if you just go with the mind, you see what direction we're going in, in society and in the world. And then we kind of ridicule or downplay um, heart-based kind of decisions. Mm. But you. You know, either one without the other is not, doesn't put you in the right direction. Reflecting back on my experience and how it played out, I let myself get immersed like a child at play, even though there were those messages in the back of my mind saying, this is just pretend. Maybe if we logic away the experience, we miss out on an opportunity to just be in it and play with it a bit. For me, taking a step back and understanding my experience as a metaphor was helpful because I think it would have felt like too much to believe there was an actual ghost living inside of me. That's just not something that I can accept. But either way, I got to face him, and with Melanie's help, he and I kind of talked it out. And if you're concerned about safety, like the play getting too real for someone and somebody losing their minds, I'd say it really helps to have a guide. People we can check in with about our experiences, safe spaces to help us get grounded, anchored to our shared reality. I think that's really important if you're going to work with this kind of um, way of exploration or play. There's an important piece about um, is the play taking you out of yourself? Mm -hmm out of your body, mm-hmm. out of your ability to sense and feel. Because that's more dangerous. Yeah. I think then then you're then you're actually risking, you know, um, delusion. You're risking you're risking these kind of other higher level dysfunction 
dysfunctional thinking, you know, that you they can get you in trouble and take you out of being a healthy, mature human being on the planet who is able to provide shelter for themselves and, you know, all mm-hmm. these functional, you know, things. You can get lost. The cool thing is we can even find safety using play itself. When kids are scared to go to sleep because of monsters under the bed and mom and dad just say, oh, that's silly, there's no such thing. It does nothing to address the monsters under the bed, even if they are made up. You know, maybe that's the child's best way of describing how they're feeling about something else. It's more useful to go into that headspace with them. What you're doing as you're opening that door and allowing the play to be there is showing them and modeling to them that you're not scared, that you're able to, but saying that's not real actually kind of joins with them in the fear. Mm. You're saying, I can't tolerate you believing that or having those feelings. Interesting. Yeah, right totally. as a parent yeah. so and your your job as a parent is to be the bigger stronger wiser kinder figure so that this child can build that mm-hmm. over time inside of themselves you know build that strength and the same is true for my inner child as adults we have to parent ourselves and when we say oh that's stupid it does nothing to ease the fear that's inside of us that maybe a younger part of ourselves is really feeling. So if we go with the experience, we have a lot more options. You know, if we're talking about the realm of the imaginal, that's the whole thing, that if you trust in that realm of the imaginal, then you could do that, you could play with it. Whether a literal ghost is trying to get in touch with you, or your own internal ghosts are trying to work something out. You can actually get something from an experience if you lean into it just a little bit, instead of pushing it away. How empowering to overcome our fear of ghosts in the closet by going into the story and facing that fear, versus saying, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. And where's the fun in that? I like to think of this like improv. You can yes and the experience. So let's say there is a ghost. What do you want to do about it? episode was produced by me with editorial support from Jesse Rhodes and field support from Katie Bullock, who helped me out with some of the interviews in the park. Katie, that was super fun. Thank you, Abby Voke, for helping me talk through some of these ideas over Thai food. As always, the theme song, sorry, I messed with it a bit, is by Topher M. Lewis. You also heard music from Stacey McGurl and additional music and sound design by me. Thank you so much to my guests, Elaine Chan Scherer, Kay Fulstrom, Melanie Mitchell, and the brave strangers who shared their stories and metaphysical ponderings with me. Links and information about all these special people are available at atherapistwalksintoabar.com, where you can also sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss anything, like the special mini episode that is slated to close out season one before the year ends. 
If you like what you hear, please share with everyone you know and leave a review in iTunes. This helps the show get more listeners, but more importantly, it feeds my insatiable need for external validation. Thanks for listening. very awesome because the way they made it makes you believe that it could happen to you like you could get lost in a forest you could go into a quote-unquote haunted house so the Blair Witch Project is a very well-made movie the first one oh look at that oh, oh my god one second you can like I want to talk like, Oh yeah, yeah, go pet the dog. <laughs> Hi. Hey, wait, what's it say? Moose? Moose. Moose. Do you have anything to say about ghosts? No. <laughs>